Welcome to Women Inseparable with author and speaker Jacqueline Palmer. Our study this season is titled Jesus and Me Today. We know Jesus is coming back. With that in mind, what does your today look like? Here's Jacqueline. Are we ready to talk about urgency? We're going to talk about urgency. We all have urgency. The question this week in our Jesus and Me Today study is where is your urgency? Where is it? I have um, a daily or a weekly calendar, um, a, a journal more or less, and every Sunday I sit down with my journal and I write a list of what needs to be done that week. I used to do a, every day this is what I need to get done that day. Huh. I transfer that to it. What do I need to do this week? Most of it normally gets done, you know, Friday by five, <laughs> but I write it down Sunday morning. And the first thing on my weekly calendar every week is the title of whatever it is we're studying that week, because it's top priority in my little world, is what we get to study and teach here in Women Inseparable. So I wrote this week, where is my urgency? And then I put my list of what I needed to do, phone calls, appointments, you know, clean the oven, those type stuff. And I'm looking over it last night, and there was only one thing marked off of my whole page of list. And I'm looking at the where is my urgency and looking at my list. And I laughed because what I had on my list for this week is identical to what I had on my list last week. So I concluded my urgency is not in this journal. <laughs> That's all I had to say about that. The question is, where is your urgency? Do you have urgency about something? We're women. Oftentimes, there's something that reigns supreme. It's that thing that happens. It does not have to be written on our paper because it's what we do. It's where our urgency lies. Where is your urgency? Not do you have urgency. The question is, where is it? We're going to talk about that scripturally and apply it to our Jesus and me today. To do so, I want to read Isaiah 55. I wanted so desperately to read this last week, and God says no. So we read Psalm 126, and that was good. Today we're going to read Isaiah 55. Then we'll pray, and then we'll talk about where is your urgency. Sound good? Isaiah 55. As we read Isaiah 55 and as we go into today's study, can I ask you to open your ears to the word come? We talked about this word briefly when we first started this study. And to notice as we go through this study, Jesus and me today, to look at the word come. Can you open your ears to that today? Let that be our quest. Isaiah 55. It says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine, buy milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Where is your urgency? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. This is not talking about what's on your, your dinner table. It's talking about what's on the plate of God, his word, his scripture. Think of the, that verse, verse 2, and apply it to what we studied in Jude, and it makes beautiful sense. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear 
that your soul may live. And I will make, this is a future promise, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I made David a witness to the peoples. I made him a leader. I made him a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked, let him forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man, let him forsake his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And again, I say, let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him. Let him return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return there, but instead they water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Where is your urgency? Let verse 10 take you right back to verse 1. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy. You shall be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Oh, Heavenly Father, how powerful is your word. Lord, it does not matter what page we open within your book. There's truth. There's a solid foundation on which we can stand, on which we can kneel, on which we can just fall. Oh, Lord, that we rest in your embrace, that we rest upon the sure foundation that is called God Almighty. I pray right now that you'll be with us as we open up your word with such innocence and such purity in our hearts. I pray that you'll be with us as we read Isaiah 55 and as we study Matthew 25. Oh, Lord, it's such a powerful passage, such a confusing, difficult passage at times. I pray that you will take away any confusion, and I pray that you'll give us once again a sure foundation to stand on. I pray that you'll grow us, each and every one of us, individually where we are, as we are, in these words that you spoke to your disciples. We sit here, Lord, as your chosen disciples of today. Strengthen us in our relationship with you that we may live for you today. I pray for your words. I pray for your strength. I pray for your hand upon my mouth, upon my head, upon my thoughts today. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Isaiah 55, I highly encourage you 
us to read it again later this week. It's a lot in Isaiah 55. Match it up to your study in Jude. Match it up to the study we're going to do today. And match it up to Revelation 22. That's a fun bonus. We are not getting into that today. But I highly encourage you, read Isaiah 55. Read Matthew 25 that we're going to do together today. And then read Revelation 22. And see the beauty that is strong between Isaiah's words, the words of Jesus Christ, and the words of Jesus Christ. It's power. Looking at the word come. So I sent this, um, this statement, exactly that statement, to Gail and Dandy this week. We do little mini Bible studies before we teach, and it's beautiful for my heart. Uh, all three of us, I think we all favor it desperately. But I asked them to do the same thing. So <laughs> you like attention. Dandy uh, got her paper, and she wrote the word come on top and wrote our references that we're doing, Isaiah 55 and Revelation 22 and Matthew 25, and she tally marked every time come and coming and came was listed. Mm. And then her study just dripped down her paper of where the Lord took her study with she and the Lord. And it was beautiful. Homework assignment, not from me. You can blame Dandy on that one. <laughs> Highly recommend. Look at the word come and see the power in that word, especially when our Savior says come. Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is a parable that Jesus spoke. So whenever you look at a parable, it's so imperative that you know, it's always Jesus saying the parable. So we always know the author, but you always want to know who Jesus is sharing this parable to. Oftentimes he uses his parables to speak to Pharisees. Oftentimes. This one is different. This parable that's in 25, and there's two parables. Both of them are spoken to the disciples. We see that by going backward in scripture. Sometimes if you want your answer of what's going on here, you have to go backward. It's okay to go backward in scripture. So I went back into chapter 24 and was looking to the beginning of this um, speaking, this teaching that Jesus was doing. And in Matthew 24, verse 3, it says, And he, this being Jesus, as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, so this gives us Jesus, he gives us his position and his location. Powerful little statement. Tells us we're talking about Jesus sitting. Jesus is sitting in this position. Oftentimes when you hear Jesus speaking, when we read through the gospels, we see Jesus standing and teaching. He's standing in a boat. He's standing beside the river. He's standing on the mountain. He's constantly standing when he's proclaiming his words. Here, he's sitting. He's in a very comfortable, relaxed state. He's not proclaiming to masses. He's sitting. It's a powerful, it's a different person, isn't it? Between somebody who's standing and speaking and sitting and speaking. There's different tones that are being used. Here we see Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, and we are not going to do a study on the Mount of Olives because I'm telling you, it's a beautiful, deep one, and um, I'm going to get in trouble by Gail because it'll be like three hours later. She's like, honey, we got to go. <laughs> do a study on Mount of Olives. The verse continues and says, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him 
What word do you see right there? Privately. Privately. This is an intimate, sweet conversation. Before Matthew 24, anyone who knows anything about Matthew 24, it's deep. It's deep. It's difficult. Matthew 24 is about Jesus proclaiming what's going to happen in the end days. It's what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. There's power in Matthew 24. This is not a loud conversation. This is a private conversation. This is Jesus talking to Andrew eyeball to eyeball. This is Jesus talking to Peter. Say, get what I'm saying to you, Peter. This is not talking to the 10,000 to 4,000. This is, this is private. And it's written for us to be part of today. We get to be part of that private. So imagine Jesus looking in your eyes as the listener to this passage. Sound good? Does it make you smile? These words are for us. It's for those disciples that have an intimate encounter with Jesus Christ. We're not going to break up Matthew 24, but I wanted you to see where he was scripturally because it's good so you see, so you're not just saying, well, this human once told me that the Bible says this. Don't do that. I always say, well, the Bible told me that the Bible says this. And on that note, it does not matter if you don't know exactly what scripture. Sometimes we get stuck on that. And I know oftentimes when I'm teaching, I'll use words like, as we're reading scripture, I'll say every once in a while, does scripture come to mind? And doesn't your mind get flooded with scripture? If your mind gets flooded with scripture while we're reading scripture, that's great. If it does not, that's great. My prayer is, and it's been really heavy on my heart this week, if anybody feels inadequate or defeated in any way when I use the words like, what scripture comes to mind? And you sit and in your head think, I don't know. I don't have scripture come to mind. Good. That's okay. This scripture study, scripture study always is about where you are as you are with your Jesus. Does that make sense? Don't let Satan in that space and say, oh, you need to know more scripture. Know enough scripture to tell Satan to go away. In the name of Jesus, you have no space in my time with Jesus right now. If you don't have a scripture reference in your head, that's okay. Because you're studying scripture right now. And that's power. Stay where you are. Sound good? Just wanted to, I guess, publicly apologize. And nobody has said anything to me about this except for the Holy Spirit. So don't start judging or throwing stones in your head like, who said that to Jacqueline? What did she say? The Holy Spirit says truly all, all week, I've been praying about this all week, very heavy on my heart about this. So I don't know if it's anybody in our room or on camera, just give yourself grace. And if I ever say a statement that's over your knowledge of scripture, just let it go. Not for me, not where I am, not as I am. Yeah. Keep on going. Deal? It's okay to ignore me. Don't ignore scripture, but you can always ignore me. All right, here we are. Matthew 24. In verse 36, we see Jesus concluding a conversation that he's having with the disciples. He says, but concerning that day and that hour, no one knows. We could expand that sentence and say, but concerning the day and the hour that I, Jesus Christ, come again, 
because Jesus is coming again. He says, concerning that day in which I come again, no one knows. The angels in heaven, scripture says, have no idea what that day is. They have no idea what that hour is. Nor the Son, but the Father only. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, is telling his disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he says to them, the Son of God has no idea when the Son of God is coming again. Isn't that amazing? We have people alive today that are constantly trying to figure out mathematically the day and the time Jesus does not know. Do I need to say anything else or do I say go study Jude? <laughs> Concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And then Jesus goes on, and I highly encourage you to spend time reading the, this passage in the um, conclusion of Matthew 24. To reinforce what Jesus is saying to his disciples, he gives a parable. So we know this parable was spoken from Jesus, spoken directly to the private ears of his disciples. The disciples that have chosen already, I follow you. I know your voice and I follow you. These are the disciples. These are the ones that are listening to this parable. Got that, that image, that picture? And this is what Jesus says. We're going to read the whole chunk. There's 13 verses. Remember where you are. As you are where you are, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, you are sitting with Peter and James and John and Bartholomew. You are here in this conversation. Got that? That's how intimate your relationship is with Jesus Christ. This is where you are. He says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. If you have a question, jot a question down on your paper. Any question, write it down. It says in verse 2, five of, five of them are foolish. So we have ten virgins, five of them were foolish. And five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they all slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Verse seven says, then all those virgins, the five foolish and the five wise, they all rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for your lamps, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Listen to those words. The foolish women listened to those words. They obeyed. And it says in verse 10, and while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Verse 11 says this, Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. 
And then Jesus looks at his disciples and you can see the power and the urgency that Jesus says, verse 13, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Does anybody have any questions while you read that passage? I read that passage and then I read it again and then I read it again and I had questions. I had a lot of questions. And I've read this, I've studied this, I've written a Bible study on the book of Matthew. I've written about this, published my thoughts on Matthew 25. And I'm still sitting there and I had questions and questions. And I called Gail and Dandy, I'm like, I need you over my house right now. <laughs> and we studied and we prayed and we studied and we prayed and we studied. Can I tell you right now, I still have questions. I have answers, but the beautiful thing about the parables of Jesus is that they're parables of Jesus and they're astounding and they're deep and they're precious and they're powerful and they're deep. It's okay if we have questions that do not have specific answers. Can I give that permission? Mm -hmm. And that permission is coming from my leadership as well. So we were studying parables with Kevin, who's a pastor I'm accountable to. And one thing he said about parables is sometimes they're not meant to completely figure out. One day we'll know. It's okay. Like, that's good. That's good. And he said this to me, you know, because it was, it was a group class that I was in, but it was to, yeah, that was for me. I took that note home and ran with it. And then I ended up in this passage. I'm like, oh, Lord, thank you for those words from Kevin, my spiritual leadership. It's okay if we have questions. It's okay if our questions don't have an answer today. One of my questions that I have that I still am pondering is why were the wise rude? My first question. To me, and I was talking to my son about this this morning on the way to school. To me, the wise are rude. Why are they rude? That's my question. And I don't necessarily have an answer to that, except that perhaps maybe they weren't rude. But I'm still pondering this one. So if you don't have a question, you can borrow my question. <laughs> That's how nice I am. I share my questions. Let's break this up. Are you ready? See what we can do as a group of women who are hungry for truth, hungry for the word of God to uh, settle in our minds so it affects us. That's what we want anytime we study scripture is that there's a change in our heart, a growth in our mind, and it's something we can cling to today. That's our goal. Let's see what we can do. Verse one of chapter 25, then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. We have 10 people that look exactly the same. 10 people that are identifying as somebody who is seeking the attention of the groom. Has anybody in this room ever been a bride? In fact, we have a new bride in the room today. Being a bride comes with smiles and memories and stories, chaos, attitudes. There's lots of words we can match to the bride. These 10 women were all in the same path. They were all moving in the same direction. 
They all looked exactly the same. They even held the same exact thing, did they not? They all took their lamps. The idea of lamps and trimming the lamps, that, that's spoken to the Jewish audience. They knew what that meant. We are in such a spoiled society that we don't even have to clap anymore for our lights to go on. We just like push an app. <laughs> You're like, you still clap? We have a different lighting system. But the Jewish audience of the day, they had their lamps and they had to trim the wick and they had to add the oil and their light would be lit. These 10 virgins, the five wise, the five foolish, all looked exactly the same. They were all doing exactly the same thing. They were all holding exactly the same thing. Physically, you could not tell a difference between any of them. To me, that idea fascinates me because the story goes in complete opposite paths. Five of them go this way, the other five go this way. But while they're in the middle, they all look identical, every one of them. And I think about our study that we did in Jude last week. And we think about the false prophets, the one that stood as the, the crowning glory of the room. And how imperative it is for those of us that know the Lord as our Savior to call them out and to say no. Nope, you're saying the name of God, but you are not speaking the blood and resurrection of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Get them away from the head of our body. Get them away. Don't allow them in. This passage takes it deeper and more personal. This passage is saying there are going to be some in your room, in your group, in your church that look exactly like you. They've got their Bible in their hand. They're walking forward as if they know Jesus Christ, as if they know God. There's no difference in their appearance, but there's a grave difference in their appearance. And as we study the difference, can you do two things? Evaluate your heart. Above all else, evaluate your heart. Remember, Jesus is speaking to Peter. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to people that have already said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I will leave my nets. I will leave my boats. I will leave my job. I will leave my parents. I will leave everything to follow you. And Jesus says to them, there are wise and there are foolish. Evaluate your heart. Secondly, evaluate those around you. Don't judge them. Evaluate them. As we read this passage, in the kingdom of heaven, there were 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish, five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. The wise, in contrast, took their lamps and they took flasks of oil. This oil is seen throughout scripture. The representation of oil is seen and displayed so detailed in the book of Leviticus. And the oil, the, the olive oil that's spoken of is a representation of the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Evaluate your heart in that. There are some who say, I am a Christian. And I pray God's words go before anything that I say right here, right now. There are those of us that say, I am a Christian. 
There are those of us that live our lives as a Christian. We go to a church building. We go to a Bible study. We do the best to be the sweet, innocent, humble wife of First Peter tells us to, to our husbands. And we try to be meek and quiet. We try to raise our children in the honor and the glory of the Lord. But there's something missing. And that thing that's missing, sweet friend, is the Holy Spirit. And there should be evidence in our lives that the Holy Spirit is in us. And if you sit here today as a claimed with your words, I am a Christian of God, but I don't know the Holy Spirit, the only way to get the Holy Spirit is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have to follow Him. You have to believe Him. You have to live for Him. You have no other choice. You have no other choice. If you say with your mouth you're a Christian, but you don't know the Holy Spirit, sweet friend, may I with you? biggest heart of a sister say, perhaps you need to believe in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you need to evaluate the fact that maybe I've been clinging to the fact that I've always said that I'm a Christian. Maybe my parents, maybe my marriage, maybe my habit is that of a Christian. But when I sit and think, I don't know if there's ever been a time that I poured my heart out to Jesus and said, I need you, Jesus Christ, to be my Savior. Because Scripture says, upon receiving Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in you. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Not by mouth, but by heart. These ten virgins were all living like they were Christians. They were all waiting for the bridegroom, which, by the way, is Jesus Christ. This is all a parable about the day that Jesus is coming again, in which Jesus was saying, I have no idea when I'm coming again. You have no idea when I'm coming again, but be ready. Be ready. Don't just look the part. Don't you dare just look the part, Peter. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. Say, but my appearance looks good. I've worked so hard at my appearance. Good job. It's going to do nothing for you. Those are not easy words to say. Evaluate your heart, sweet friend. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Verse 5 says, As the bridegroom was delayed, you think of the day in which Jesus spoke these words to his disciples in the first century, and here we are, couple years later, and the bridegroom is still delayed, is he not? This makes it so real for us right now. These words are still in the fullness of time that Ephesians 1 tells us about. They're still in the plan of God. These words are still powerful to you and me. As the bridegroom was delayed, today is another way you could word that. They all became drowsy, and they all slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. I love whenever there's a reference to the midnight in Scripture. You see that a couple of times in the book of Acts, that at midnight, newness happened. Midnight is the end of one day and the start of a new day. Midnight is a powerful word. It's another fun word study if you want to do a word study on midnight. Midnight means that there's newness. The newness of Christ is happening. It's new. It's today. He says, but at midnight there was a cry. And the cry was this. Here, 
here, today is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, which means they all heard the cry. Isn't that interesting? Every one of them, all their ears were open. They all heard the cry. That's very, very interesting. Your ears will always be open when Jesus speaks. But is your heart open when Jesus speaks? If it's not open to Jesus speaking right now, it's not going to be open when Jesus speaks and says, here I am, come, come. Oh, that our hearts are open to what Jesus is saying today. Then all those virgins rose and they trimmed their lamps. See, the behavior is exactly the same. Exactly the same. There's no difference in their behavior. And the foolish said the wise, and this is where it completely changes. Here's where everything is seen. All those virgins, they rose, they trimmed their lamps, and then the foolish noticed something was missing. At this point, not during the whole display, not in getting ready for the, the big day. There's a lot of preparation to be a bride, isn't there? These virgins were all preparing to be a bride, getting the dress, getting the shoes, getting the veil, getting the jewelry, getting the garter. There's all this stuff that a bride does to prepare herself for the groom. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? How is my skin? Like, there's preparations inside and out to meet the groom. These women were doing this together, which means if they're doing this together to get ready for the groom to come, the groom being Jesus, you know the name of Jesus was being spoken of among these 10. They were having open dialogue because they were all doing the same thing together, but half of them did not get it. Do you see the power that's being said in this? Basically, he's saying 50% don't get it. That's powerful. This is not an easy parable, is it? Anybody else want this chair? <laughs> I'll swap with you right now. Jesus is talking to his sweet, intimate disciples, and he says, grab what I'm saying. I'm coming again, and I don't know when I'm coming again, but be ready. Be ready in your heart. Don't put on a show. Your show will only deceive yourself. It will not deceive me. It's possible it'll even deceive those that you're with, but it will not deceive me. Evaluate your heart, will you please? All the virgins rose, they trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. I'm so curious what the tone of their voice was. Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. I always wonder why. Why don't the, the wise tell the foolish, Jesus is the answer? You need Jesus. We're going to Jesus. Come. Come with me. The bridegroom is here. Let's go together. Why don't they testify? Why won't they witness to the foolish? That's always my question. But the more we study this passage over the week, the more I realize the wise didn't know that the foolish did not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When was the last time you sat and witnessed to your best friend? 
sat there with your Bible study partner and asked them, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Like, well, no, we do Bible studies together. I think one of the sweetest questions, and I had this question last week in this corner with one of our girls. We were just talking, having conversation. And the sweetest question that we could ask one another is this, when did you ask Jesus into your heart? And I got to ask that question, may I? I got to ask that question last week, and the answer was when I was 16 years old. And then she giggles and says that was 80 years ago. She says, I've had a relationship with Jesus. Jesus has been in my life for 80 years. How do you get past that sentence? I can't get past that sentence. What would happen is every, if every time you're with a girlfriend, with a new girlfriend, somebody that you've known for 20 years or somebody that you just met, and just in conversation, you know they know Jesus and they know you know Jesus. What if you testify of it? Ask each other, when did you ask Jesus into your heart? Would you answer that? Would you love if somebody asked you that? It's not judgment. Oh, sweet friends, that is not a question of judgment. That's a testimony of glory. That's saying, when did you enter the joy of the Lord? Why is that a bad thing? That's not a bad thing. When somebody asks me that, I get giggly. Oh, let me tell you, this is when I asked Jesus into my heart. I was three, and then I wasn't sure when I was 16, so I made sure when I was 16, and I've had Jesus in my life for 40 years. I thought 40 years was just amazing, but she's got 80. I have another 40 to go before I can match that smile. Ask one another, ask yourself, when did I receive Jesus as my Savior? And if your answer is, I've always been a Christian. Sweet friend, don't, don't forget to get your flask of oil. We're not born Christians. May I say that out loud? We are not born Christians. We're born in the flesh. There has to be a day that you raised in a Christian home. There has to be a day that you say, thank you for my Christian home. But God, I need you. I as a living individual, me needs you, Jesus, as my Savior. Not because of how I was raised or what my marriage looks like or what I want my children to be. I need you. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Christian, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you feel your place on the Mount of Olives right now? Sitting with the disciples? It gets real. It gets real, doesn't it? Can you see my excitement over teaching this parable today? Give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out, but the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you. Interesting that we cannot give our salvation to other people. Go rather, they say, to the dealers and buy for yourselves. I wonder clearly if the foolish were so used to take care of themselves and the wise are starting to see that. You have your own plan. You're wanting an answer outside of Jesus. Go get your answer. I wonder if they're now talking their language. I don't know. This one, this is my question. I still have questions, but I know the answer is Jesus. I know that.
there's no doubt in my mind that the answer is Jesus, that the answer is Jesus is coming again. We don't know when Jesus is coming again, but today we know Jesus is coming again. What does your life look like today while we wait? What does that look like? It's a beautiful thing to think about. Evaluate what that looks like. While the foolish went to go buy It's interesting how they took the advice. They really had no idea, did they? They had no idea. They were preparing for the bridegroom and they had no idea how to get there. No idea. Physically, they did. Their action, they did. But when their girlfriends said, oh, go get some, go buy some, and we hear of Isaiah 55 saying, Come buy from who? Buy from me without price, without money. I have what you need. The foolish didn't even know that. Said, oh, I need to go buy? Okay, I'll be right back. And they, they went looking for Jesus without going to Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. Always Jesus. You say, but it's too simple. No, it's not. It's not. It's very deep. There's no end to how deep the name of Jesus is. Do you know Jesus? While they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, those who were ready went in with Jesus. They went in with Jesus to the marriage feast, and the door to the marriage feast, the marriage feast was shut. After the whole event took place, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. And again, I wonder what their tone was. But Jesus answered and said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. The scripture I can give to you right there as you evaluate your life is John 10. If you could write John 10 down, evaluate your life with John 10. Jesus says to the five who were acting like they knew, who did not know, he says, I do not know you. And then he says to the disciples, he says to you, he says to me, watch, watch, therefore, because you do not know, watch, because you do not know. It's a powerful conclusion. Heavenly Father, oh, how deep is your love. It's so deep that it's hard to even wrap, wrap our knowledge around it. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. You are the Son of God. You are the eternal Son of God who came to earth to live in the flesh, to walk among us, to relate to us, to die on the cross for us for our sin of unbelief. Jesus Christ, you are the one who died and was buried in the tomb. I believe with my whole heart that you died on the cross. I believe with my whole heart that you were buried. And Lord Jesus, I believe with everything that is in me that you rose again, that you conquered my sin, that you conquered grave, you conquered death, you conquered separation from God Almighty, and you rose again. 
and in your resurrection you have given me the gift of salvation. Heavenly Father, I pray for every girl that's praying with me right now that they believe the same thing, that today they believe that you, Jesus Christ, died, was buried, rose again. Oh, Lord Jesus, that our faith is in you, not in our Christian walk, that our faith is in you, not in our Christian performance, that our faith is in you, not in our appearance or what we're holding or what we're doing. Lord, that our hands are empty before you so that you can fill them with what we need to hold on to. And what we need to hold on to is the very word of God, which is you, Jesus Christ. I pray salvation upon the heart that is receiving you today. Fill them, Lord God, with your Holy Spirit. I even dare pray that if any of our girlfriends have never followed you in baptism to begin that newness that happens within your walk with Jesus, I pray uh, that they'll step forward and do um, an act of love in their relationship with you and follow you in believer's baptism. Oh, the newness that comes in obedience is indescribable. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to speak your scripture. I pray that your words alone will be heard and remain and that you'll erase anything that I said that, um, should, that would get in the way. I love you so much. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You can find us on Telegram at WI Online. If you need prayer, contact us at womeninseparable at gmail.com.